This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Ah, it's a great morning to be alive, don't you agree? It's a great morning to be at church. It's a great morning to be in where it's dry. Right? Yeah. It's also a great morning to be focusing on what I believe to be the truth that's closest to God's heart. That's a wonderful privilege that we have this morning, and uh, so I hope you're ready to enjoy uh, delving into that truth uh, over the next few minutes. But before I do that, let me do a couple of other things. Let me pass along a welcome, uh, a special welcome to those of you that this is your first or second time here. I realize that for those of us who come to church all the time, this is our church home Uh, This is all familiar stuff to us. We're very familiar with uh, the sights and the surroundings and all those things. But for you, this might be something brand new. And if it's brand new to you, um, well, then I have a message or two for you that I I think would be great. Uh, I realize that for you, it seems like you're on somebody else's turf. For those of us who come here all the time, we remember that first Sunday when we came and we felt like, oh my goodness, this is somebody else's turf. Well, welcome to the turf. And we want you to make yourself at home. We hope that this will be your turf at least for the morning and that you will enjoy. We don't have a pre-scripted routine in this church where you're going to be expected to sit up, stand up, shout up, or do anything else. Uh, In the middle of the service, uh, we'll invite you along the way to do a number of things uh, that will be good for you and hopefully help you in your learning and your growth and your spiritual development. There's no real dress code here, so you don't have to look around and figure out if you wore the right stuff, you know, as long as you came with some clothes on, and and, and that's good. Uh, So... uh, uh, You know, church isn't about what you wear, and it's not about how well you sing or don't sing or any of those things. But I'll tell you what church is about. Church is about connecting with God, and it's about connecting with God's people. And those are the two things that we do every single Sunday morning here. Yes, and for the next few minutes, I'm going to be speaking to you out of God's Word. And so I want to invite you along on that process because... You know, when you connect with God and you really connect with His people, church is never boring. It just isn't. We just don't... Number one, we don't do boring church here. But number two, if you connect with God and you connect with His people, then it's never boring. It becomes two things. Number one, it becomes life-giving. I sat with two people this week who who are just going through some amazing things in life that are challenging them to their very core. And both of them said this to me. They said, we cannot imagine where we would be if we weren't connected with this church. You know what they were really saying? We're finding life here, real life. So it's life-giving. And I hope this morning that regardless of whatever fight or disagreement you may have had with your family on the way here, if you had one of those, hopefully you sang and prayed all the way to church. Okay, maybe not quite that bad, okay? But hopefully your heart was prepared. But even if you struggled this morning, I hope and pray that what takes place here is life-giving to you. The second thing I I pray that it is, is that it's life-changing. 
Because if you come to church and if you encounter God, shouldn't that make your life different? It should. So I hope it's life-changing for you. I have a couple of uh, sort of house business things to take care of. Um, the first has to do with life, life groups. As you walked into the lobby this morning, there's a table out there that says first serve in life groups. And for those of you who are new to New Life, a life group is simply a, a small group of people, maybe six to eight, and we have a couple that are 25 to 35, so they're kind of not real small anymore. But uh, These are small groups of people that meet throughout the week and they share life and they apply biblical truth to their lives. And I can tell you that life groups are the heartbeat of new life. And uh, so for those of you who have come two or three times and you're really looking for, you know, I really like what's happening here on Sunday. It's life-giving to me. It's starting to change my life. So how do I make this my church home? The best way to do that is is find a life group, get involved in the life group. You'll become wonderful friends with the people who are there, and uh, it's just a great thing. So I want to encourage you to stop by the life group table on your way out. Secondly, on the inside of your programs, you should find a couple of things. And so I'm going to ask you to pull out two things right now. I'm going to ask you to pull out um, a fill-in-the-blank note. Uh, you'll see it on it's a half sheet of full-size paper, uh, and you'll see it, it's fill in the blanks. And then there's a little card in there that says, I'm in. I want you to pull that out for a minute. I don't have time to fully explain what I'm in is. Uh, I fully explained it last week, so you can go pull up the podcast and listen uh, to last week's thing. But I know a number of you took those those home, and, and the, the concept is, is fairly simple. Uh, we have a great desire to make this facility available to our community and really bless the community. And in order to do that and in order for this facility to bless new life, we're giving people the opportunity, inviting them and encouraging them to come along and partner with us in that, in making a $50 a month pledge for the next 14 months. And I know uh, 30 some of you did last Sunday right on the spot. Many of you took the cards home and you told me you're praying through that. So just in, in the chance that you took the card home and forgot to bring it back, we put it in the program again for you today. So those of you who ha- have prayed through that, um, you can fill that out. For those of you who weren't here last Sunday, that's kind of it in a nutshell. And so if you'd be kind enough to pray through that, I'm going to lead us in a prayer right now. And if God so moves in your heart, then you can get on board with that too. Father, we are extremely grateful for your work in our lives. And even now, Uh, Many of us have prayed and we've come prepared to fill that in. Would you bless us with generous and responsive hearts to you? We thank you so much for your wonderful and gracious provision in our life. Even as we reach out now to give to you in faith, we do so knowing that you will take care of us and supply all that's needed. We offer this prayer to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. It's been a great week. It's been a very interesting week and one in which God has done some amazing things in the church. And uh, for those of you who have prayed uh, uh, about all those things, God bless you. Uh, Go home and be grateful and be thankful for God is working in a great way. So now let's dive into what this truth is that I think would be closest to the heart of God. Actually, I believe that if, 
if we were able to physically see God and were to invite him here this morning, and I wasn't standing here, but God himself was standing here, and we were able to do a Q&A session with him, that'd be kind of fun, don't you think? Yeah. And some of us were to say, okay, God, just kind of cut to the bottom line. What's life all about? What's its basic purpose? What's its meaning? How does it work? I believe God would start with the truth we're going to talk about this morning. Because it's the foundational truth of all of Scripture. And out of it, all the other truths of Scripture flow. And the things that we sung about this morning, uh, grace like rain, grace flows from this truth. Our God saves, flows from this truth. So let's take a look at our focus scripture, and we'll jump into this. You call him Father. I want you to underline that phrase. That's so important. You call him Father when you pray to God, who judges all people by the same standard according to what each has done. So then, spend the rest of your lives here on earth in reverence for him. For you know what was paid to set you free from the worthless manner of life handed down by your ancestors. It was not something that can be destroyed, such as silver or gold. It was rather the costly sacrifice of Christ who was like a lamb without defect or flaw. He had been chosen by God before the creation of the world and was revealed in these last days for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from death and gave him glory, and so your faith and hope are fixed on whom? Are fixed on God. You know, as I, as I read that, that scripture, I realized that that scripture has two bookends. And when you understand the bookends, then all the books in the middle, all the truths in the middle make sense. So I want you to go to the very first part of that scripture that I had you underline. Here's the bookends. You call him father. And how does it end? So your faith and hope are fixed on God. Wow. You know, that's um, that deals with the most basic issue of life. As a pastor, I have people who ask me various forms of this question all the time. And it is, so pastor, how are we supposed to view God? Well, he starts out by saying, you call him Father. And yet, isn't God really the creator of heaven and earth? Shouldn't I relate to him as the creator? Isn't he the commander-in-chief of heaven's armies? Shouldn't I relate to him as the commander-in-chief of heaven's armies? Isn't he the all-knowing God? Shouldn't I relate to him that way? Isn't he the all-powerful God? Isn't he all of these things? Oh, yes, he is. So then, how do I relate to God? Scripture is very, very clear. And I want to give you an illustration that I hope you never forget. There's two people in our country who face that same dilemma 
every single day. Malia and Sasha Obama. How should they relate to Barack? Is he the commander-in-chief of America's armies? Mm -hmm. Is he the leader of the free world? Yes. Does he occupy what most people would consider to be the most powerful position in the world and the most influential? Yes. Is he the president of our country? Yes. So is it okay if Malia walks into his office and says, Commander-in-Chief, here I am. Is that what you would expect from her? Now, what would you expect her to say when she walks into his office? Hey, Dad. Because to Malia and Sasha, though their father is the commander-in-chief of the armies, and though their father is the president of the United States, to her, to those two little girls, he should always be dad. Now you got it? One time Jesus' apostles, his 12 closest followers, came to him and said, teach us how to pray. And Jesus said, okay, I'll teach you how to pray. Ready? So this is how I want you to pray. And what were the first two words of that prayer? Our, was it all great commander-in-chief of heaven's armies? Was it almighty God, ruler of heaven and earth? Though he is those things, and we praise him for those things, and we recognize that he is those things, when it comes to how you and I relate to God, what he wants you to know, and what he wants me to know more than anything else, is that he is our father. And friend, if you don't get that, then all the stuff between the front cover of your Bible and the back cover of your Bible won't make any sense to you, really. Until you know, and not just know up here, until you know down here that God has one desire for you, and that is that you would be his son or his daughter. I want to read to you what he says in his word. Take a look here. I will be a father to you, and you will be my what? My sons and my daughters, says the Lord God whom? Yeah, He could be the Lord God Almighty in your life. He could be the judge of your world, but He chooses to be your father. He says, I'll be a father to you. You will be my sons and my daughters. So, let me give you three reasons why you know that God is your Father. And they all come out of this passage. And I know the passage, the focus scripture that we read, uh, I could preach out of that passage for probably three months. So we're going to hit just the high points, but they, they all have to do with these three reasons, and they're all encapsulated in there. And the first one is because He loves no one more than He loves you. In fact, it says, who judges all people by the same standard. You know what? I wrote down in my margin, there's no favorites with God. God doesn't have this deal where, oh, this person is my son or my daughter, and that person is not my son or my daughter. I love this person, don't really like that person. I'm drawn to this person, irritated with that person. 
God doesn't do that stuff. The Bible makes it very clear. In fact, when Paul wrote to one of the early churches, he said that the whole family of human beings gets its name from God. That's one of the questions I'd like to ask God someday. What is that name? What does that mean? But I can understand it enough to know that when God looks down upon the earth, there's not one person that God looks at and thinks, I love them more than I love this person. Or, I love them less than I love this person. Because it's very clear that there are no favorites with God. And why are there no favorites with God? Because every person was created to be what? His son or his daughter. And the verse I just read to you, where God says, I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and my daughters. And friends, can I tell you, when that takes place, when you and I recognize that God is our Father and desires to share life with us, who loves to share every part of life with us, good times, bad times, it makes no difference. God wants to share every part of life, and not just life here on this earth, but life in eternity with us. Why? Because we were created in God's image. We were created to be His kids. And when we get that, and we understand it, and we begin to live in that reality, and we begin to get up every day and recognize, I was created to be God's son. I was created to be God's daughter. When we finally get it, then life is good, regardless of what's happening. Because our heart is at rest, and God's heart is at rest. And until we get to that point, there's a restlessness, there's an emptiness, there's a hollowness on the inside of us because we are separated from our Heavenly Father. And our soul was made to share life with Him. And guess what? When it's that way, there's not only an emptiness and a restlessness in us, there's a restlessness in God who comes to look for us. If you've had kids, and you've got a teenage kid, and they're out at some function, and they're supposed to be home at 9 o'clock or 10 o'clock or whatever the appointed time is, and that time comes and they're not there, what happens on the inside of you? Is there any restlessness there? When 9.30 hits, <laughs> there's a deep restlessness that hits. Why? Because your son or your daughter is not where they're supposed to be. You ever go looking for them? You ever pick, the, pick up the phone and start calling for them? Yeah. Because they're your kids. Well, your Heavenly Father does the same thing. And when you're wandering away from Him, and you're out into addictions, and you're out into dysfunctional behavior, and you're out into all those things that are destructive, or you're just out there in plain selfishness, you're not hurting anybody, you're just being selfish. But you're de definitely not walking with God. There's a restlessness in His heart.
because he knows what's at the end of that path. And that story never ends good. Never does. So the first reason you know that God is your Father is there's no one in the world He loves more than He loves you because you're His kid. The second thing that Peter points us to in this passage is this. Because He has made incomprehensible sacrifices for you. Peter wraps it up in these words. You know what price was paid to set you free. Wow. I was thinking about our own children. And I can tell you, as I got older, I never once thought I ever embarrassed my parents. Never gave that a thought as a kid. Couldn't even imagine. Why would anyone be embarrassed of me? Right? And I remember the first time one of my kids did something that actually embarrassed me. I had this moment of discovery and reflection. And all of a sudden, I started going back in my own life thinking, why do my kid, Why are my kids doing this to me? I never did this to my parents. And then I was hit with a wave of, oh yes, I did. And I started recalling all these events in my life and thinking, Oh my goodness, my parents must have been so embarrassed. I just wasn't bright enough to be embarrassed at the time. It's just a kid, right? Well, how, what are the sacrifices we make as parents? Well, you know, the first way that kids usually affect us is called morning sickness. Right? How fun is that? Yeah, it, yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mom's in there puking and dad's in there cleaning up the mess or doing whatever he's supposed to be doing, hopefully. And morning sickness gives way to birth, and isn't that fun? Yes, and there's agony and there's panic and there's crying and there's holding hands and, and sometimes dads even pass and, and faint and all that kind of stuff, and it just... Yeah, I mean, we start making incomprehensible sacrifices right up front. And then we take the child home and we enter an unknown world, right? Of sleepless nights and all kinds of things. And it just goes on and on and on and on. Yeah. You know, only parents would do that for somebody. I, I won't be real Gross and graphic, all right? But we make sacrifices as parents that we would not make for anybody else. Your kid hands you a half-licked ice cream cone. Daddy, bite. Now, you would not do that for anybody else, right? There is no way. Okay. Now I want you to crank that up a notch. Because sitting in the audience this morning are many fathers and many mothers and you are making and have made incomprehensible sacrifices that your kids don't even relate to. You went out and you bought maternity clothes your kids are never going to see or remember, right? You went out and you bought furniture a crib that your child will never remember unless they see it in pictures. But it blesses them. 
but it's rare. There's probably not a father sitting in this room. I know there isn't, because you wouldn't be sitting in this room if you did. There's not a father sitting in this room that has ever been asked and followed through with giving your life for your child. But I believe that most, if not all of you, if it came down to it, and that's the only way you could spare your child's life, you'd do it. Why? Would you die for somebody else's kid? Probably not. But for your own, you would. You know how you know God is your father? Because he died for you. You know the price that was paid to set you free. So what does God write in his word? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Well, you know God's your Father because He didn't love anybody else more than He loves you. And you know God's your Father because He's made incomprehensible sacrifices for you. But the third reason in this passage is this. And that is... Because he believes in you even when you're wasting your life. You ever look at some kid who's just making a complete mess out of his life and you say these words, only a mother, right, could love that boy. Yeah. There's something about a parent's love that just goes deep. It defies all logic. It defies all reason. Because it's a love that comes from the soul. Friends, I want you to know that God loves you from His soul. He's your Father. You're His kid. You see, 11 days ago, no, 12 days ago now, in a Virginia prison, a fellow by the name of John Allen Muhammad was put to death by lethal injection. He gained fame in 2002 as the D.C. sniper, who, who, from the seclusion of hedges and cars, picked off completely innocent people. Friends, no one stepped forward and said, I'll give my life that he could live. Who would do that? Who would possibly step forward and say, I'll give my life so that he could live? Here was a man who killed completely innocent people and, got, and found joy in doing it. Here's a man who never offered a single apology to any of his victims or the family of his victims. Here's a man who never expressed any remorse and on the last day of his life made no closing statement to anyone he had hurt or offended. Now, I don't pretend to know what was going on in his heart or life. 
But I do know this. If a person were to walk forward and say, put me on that table so that he could live, it would have to be someone who loved him to the nth degree. Wouldn't you say that? And would that love defy all reason or logic? It would. Now very clearly the Bible says that though you and I have not chosen to live as John Allen Muhammad did, but we have all done unspeakable things that if if even the people sitting next to us were to know the fullness of what we have done in our life, we'd be embarrassed. Maybe beyond embarrassment. But here's what God says in His Word. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, just a nice guy, although some might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. There might be a few of us who would say, you know, if I could die so Mother Teresa could continue living, I I, I might be willing to do that because she'll do far more in life than I could. But notice the rest of it. But God showed His great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Wow. Three reasons to know that God is your Father. He loves you. There's no one in the world that He loves more than you. He has made incomprehensible sacrifices for you. And He loves you even when you're wasting your life. At this church... We choose to remember God's love for us every single Sunday through communion. And this is such an appropriate time in our service for us to say, okay, let's pull over to the side just for a minute. So we're going to be passing some trays through the audience, and on the trays you'll find portions of bread and small cups of juice. Jesus said, I want the bread to remind you of my body because you know the price that was paid to set you free. And his body was brutalized and broken and tormented the day that he walked to Calvary. And then Jesus said, let the juice remind you of my blood, my very life that spilled out completely and was given fully for you. And so we invite you as the trays are passed, take a piece of bread, take a cup of juice, pass the tray to your neighbor, and get your heart in that place where you recognize that God is your Father and you know the price that He paid to set you free. And you recognize it cost Him His own life. When you're ready then, you can partake on your own. If you're at a place this morning where He's, whoa, I'm not sure I'm ready to do all that yet. That's okay. I was at that point one time in my life. Everybody in this audience was at that point at some time in the past in our lives. We'll we'll think nothing less of you, but while we're participating in communion, I want to invite you to look back over your notes and begin to ponder a God who would love you to the point that He would love you even if you're wasting your life who would make incomprehensible sacrifices for you. 
a God who loves you as much as he loves anyone else in this world. Lord Jesus, even now we remember the price that was paid to set us free. We remember Calvary. We remember the terrible beating that you suffered. We remember the punishment that you took for our sins. And we remember the life that you gave so willingly and so freely. We say what the song says. I'm, for, I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. Even now as we partake, Lord, we bless you and we thank you. And we pray in your own name. Amen. You know, as we close, I want to go back to the bookends. Remember what they were? You call him Father. You skip all the way to the end and sow your faith and your hope are in God. I want to personalize that, okay? So let's say it like this. Not you call him Father, but we call him Father. And so our faith and our hope are in whom? In our Father. And friends, God is the Father you can always trust. I know that some of us in the audience may have had fathers that weren't quite so trustworthy, or maybe they were even abusive. But the Father you've always longed for, and really the Father your soul has always deserved, is equally available to everyone. There's a song worship team is going to sing, and um, it's a great song. It talks about, I have a father, and you and I do. And the great thing about the, our Heavenly Father is it's, it's kind of, I, I guess, normal and natural for, because we can't actually see Him to think about Him as being way out there somewhere in outer space in a place called heaven. And He's sort of, you know, governing things and making sure. But the bottom line is, the Bible's very clear. No, you have a personal Heavenly Father who calls you by name. Who knows you? And one of the things that I so enjoy about being a pastor is many of you come and share with me what God's doing in your life. And you come with excitement in your eyes. And guess what God did in my life this week? And guess what prayer God answered? And guess what change He made in my life this week? And, and it's, it's just wonderful. That's why lobby time is some of my favorite time. Because... I get to hear many of your stories. But you know, every time I hear a story and I get so excited with people because they're actually connecting with their Heavenly Father, I'm also reminded that there are people in the audience who haven't made that connection yet. For them, it's just going to church. They come here because it makes them feel better. They, they go away feeling a little more peaceful, go away... If nothing else, I can check it off my list, right? Don't feel guilty about that this week. Okay? Can I tell you, there's something so much better than that for you. So while the worship team sings, I want you to do your business with God. And if you've never made that choice, to relate to God as your Father 
Invite him into your life and say, God, would you come and be my heavenly father? I want to be your child. I want to follow you. I want to walk with you. I want Jesus to be my Savior so that you can be my eternal heavenly Father. I want to pray. And then as the worship team sings, give you some space. For some of us, we need to return to that position. So whatever it is, do your business with God. Father, in this moment, we pause to reflect and to look back into our lives and to ask ourselves the question, am I really relating to you as a father or are you just a God out there somewhere? Lord, would you come into our lives now? We connect with you. We receive you as our personal heavenly father. We bless you for that privilege. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.